right. All right. Make yourselves comfortable. It's good to see you. Hey, if you take a good look around, we're missing a ton of people. We have a lot, a lot of sickness today. I've gotten a lot of texts and phone calls, a lot of sinus things. So we're about to pray for all the sick people. <laughs> Some of you have sick people at home right now. Um, and Campus Outreach is not here as well. They're at a retreat in Gatlinburg. So all of our staff and students are at this fall retreat. So we're going to pray for both here in just a minute. But before we do, I want to read this passage with you. It's the passage that's going to do all of the heavy lifting for us today. It's going to be in John 10. So I tell you what, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to read this together as a church. And then I'm going to pray for us. It's a great passage. Great passage. In John 10, this is the word of the Lord for us. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father, we thank you for this passage today. I know it's going to lead us well. It has been leading me well. So as we walk our way through this and hear your word to our hearts, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would apply the gospel to us, would apply your good news to our lives, would apply, Father, where we need to see repentance needed in our life, would, would help us put down distractions, would help us and lead us to focusing on the passage and being honest with ourselves. Lord, we pray for all the sick people that, that are part of Legacy but not here today. Lots of sickness. And we just pray that you would minister to them. We ask that you would minister to them as they're at home, as they're just getting through the day, as they are resting. And Lord, we pray also for campus outreach. Hundreds of kids at a retreat, 
right now. And I know a lot have already made decisions. There's been a lot of spiritual activity at this retreat. But Father, I know that they go back to college. I know that tomorrow they go back to the same normal, the same thing, and I know how easy it is for the enemy to come by and steal that seed. I know how easy it is for the enemy to come by and cast doubt. So Lord, what we pray for is that those decisions, that, that where the needle has moved in so many students, that it would be nurtured, that they would continually grow in you, the disciples will be made. We thank you for loving us so much. You are so good to us. You are so kind, even in this word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Hey, good morning and go Vols. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, I, this passage, which is an iconic passage, I know that when it is usually taught in churches, Pastors and teachers, they make a big deal about how stupid the sheep are. <laughs> if you've grown up in the church, you've heard it. It's all about spending time on how idiotic the sheep can be, and we are the sheep in this. And I get it. They're stupid animals, right? I mean, they wander aimlessly. They don't listen. They eat their own poop. They're just not brilliant animals. But I don't know that they're much dumber than most of the animal kingdom, and I've seen people eat some pretty gross stuff, too. <laughs> I would like to just today kind of get by how dumb the sheep are and focus on how good the shepherd is, okay? Because what we have is we have a real brilliant passage, a brilliant passage on how beautiful the shepherd is, not only on how beautiful the shepherd is, but on how graciously he handles his sheep. You know, we called this series Hero for a reason. We did it because we believe as a church that we are not the heroic center role of God's story, but Jesus Christ is the heroic role, the center of our story, even in passages like this. So if you're a guest today, or if you've come once or twice and you're still somewhat new, our hope as a church is that you leave amazed and fascinated and drawn into the person of Jesus. Not that you leave amazed at how long or short your list is on things that you can do to please Jesus or things that you can do to keep him from frowning on you. A disciple, a really good growing disciple is one that's amazed with Jesus, one who's fascinated and drawn in and satisfied by Jesus. That's what roots out sin. That's actually what brings obedience. And so here today, Jesus paints a visual picture for us in what he calls in verse 7, a figure of speech, right? Now, that's a broad term, like an umbrella term. Um, you can put metaphors under that. You can put um, idioms, things like that, word pictures, personification. He calls it a figure of speech, but like handcrafted art, Jesus, a brilliant communicator, he knows how to tell a story and make it stick to the ribs. Have y'all noticed that? He just knows how to connect. He knows how to make things memorable, and he does it here by using the shepherding industry. He's connecting with people very easily. Being a shepherd, sheep, lambs, or the act of shepherding is mentioned over 600 times in the Bible in over 40 books. It's a thick part of their custom. It's a part of their real life. It's like Facebook is to us today, right? If I were to say, hey, so it's like on Facebook, I don't have to qualify and say, for those of you who don't know what Facebook is, it's this thing that's part of social media. You can actually go home and get on Facebook. I wouldn't have to do that. It'd be weird. Everyone, five-year-olds know what Facebook is, right? That's what shepherding is doing right here. It is normal to them. Shepherding's not normal to us, though, is it? 
None of you know a shepherd. None of you have ever seen a shepherd before or met a shepherd. It's just not that big of a deal for us. So it's a bit harder for us to connect with this story. It gets lost in historical static. We just kind of take it for what it is and go, okay, I guess it's a big deal. Move on. But being a shepherd, it requires a certain set of skills. And I don't think we see it correctly often. It was not reserved for those with a low IQ or could not get a job somewhere else. It wasn't for the guy that got fired at Chick-fil-A and thought, well, I guess I could go be a shepherd. I mean, that's always available. They're always looking for people there with a heart rate. You know, that's not how it was. They needed a certain skill set to do this job well. I think what we do is we see in movies, we read in stories, even grow up as kids in Sunday school, and we kind of see them as the pizza delivery men of the day, right? If you deliver pizza here too, welcome to Legacy Church. It's good to have you here, right? <laughs> But the burger flippers of the day, I mean, I was in fast food for a long time growing up, right? You didn't need a skill set to flip burgers or to make sandwiches or anything like that. You needed a heart rate. You needed to know where your apron was and the time clock was. That's not what's going on here with the shepherds. You needed endurance. You needed fortitude. You needed maturity. You needed to be able to handle long times of loneliness. You needed courage. It required great masculinity. Now hear me when I use this word. I'm using it in an asexual way. Masculinity is something that we typically attribute to only men, as if women cannot show masculinity even in a godly way. So you've heard up here from time to time us talk about what masculinity is as we try to define manhood. Masculinity is not throwing a tight spiral or cleaning a Glock or eating hot sauce. That's not really what masculinity is. Masculinity is taking responsibility for the mess around you even if it's not the mess you made. Because Jesus is the most masculine person who ever lived, and that's exactly what he did. He took responsibility for a mess around him that he didn't even make. You see, shepherds would have to do that, not their sheep. They're employed by somebody else, though, right? So they're watching and being responsible for somebody else's property, possibly somebody else's mess. It was rare, very rare, to have female shepherds, but the ones that you found, if they were good, they were responsible. This job had a skill set. It faced danger and great difficulty. Later on, as a king, you will see David, King David, look back on some of his times as a shepherd to draw strength for leading a nation. So in this, as we look at shepherds, Jesus is painting a picture of contrast. You, you see a lot of characters. This is actually a multiple parable because at one point he says, I am the good shepherd, and then he says, I am the door, right? And sometimes we're thinking, gosh, it's like we're in the Matrix or something. How can it be two different things? I don't even know what's going on right now. Just think broadly. He's actually painting two different pictures. But the characters, we see a distinction. We see a good shepherd, we see thieves, and we see pretending hired hands. Those are the big three that we see here. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You and I, if you are in Jesus, you are the church. We are the flock. We are his sheep, and the beautiful part is, is we are known by name. Consider that for a moment. We're known by name. This is why this is important, that little part right there. What shepherds would do back in this day and age is they would keep communal pens, communal sheepfolds, 
If you were to go to any village or little hamlet back then where you could hear sheep in, 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 in the background, if you went to where the sheep were at in the evenings, they would have a giant pen, what they would call a sheepfold. And the walls would be about up to here, and they would be solid, just high enough so an animal couldn't really jump in, and they would be solid so an animal couldn't get through, right? But if you went there, you'd see a tremendous amount of sheep. They don't all belong to one shepherd. You might have eight, nine, sometimes up to 12 shepherds worth of sheep in the same communal pen. It's a lot of sheep. And that's where they would spend the night, hanging out or a part of the next morning. But in the morning, the shepherds would come and they would gather their sheep, but not the others. How did they pull that off? Because they're all mixing up. It's like a blender of sheep out there. How do they get their sheep away from the other sheep? What they would do is they'd have a distinct call. Sometimes they would stand in a certain place. A lot of accounts would say that there would be instruments or flutes or they would whistle sometimes. Something, some sort of a ringtone, right? Where the right sheep would hear it and be ready to leave. Other sheep would hear a noise and they would raise their head up and they would listen and they'd think, no, that's not my guy, right? And they'd go back to eating poop or whatever they do in a pen. I don't even know. But the gate would open, the right sheep would come out, and the shepherd would leave. It's like if you go to Dollywood or Disney World, you see like a middle school band or a big family and they've all got blue shirts on. Kind of the same thing. Kind of the same thing. What's beautiful about what Jesus says here is he doesn't have a distinct call that ushers a herd of sheep out the door. He doesn't have a, a secret whistle that, that brings like a, a giant chunk of the sheep out. He knows us by name, by specific name. And that means more than just your name. We're going to talk about that in a second. But before we do, do you feel like that? You know, as I'm writing this, as I'm putting this together, I had to ask myself, do I always feel like that? Like he knows my name? Sometimes doesn't it feel like you're just part of the herd? That you're loved because you're part of the whole, but you're not really loved because of who you are as an individual. I think that's something that we can struggle with sometimes. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but it's not just main characters that are being contrasted here. You see two settings being contrasted here. One of the settings being contrasted is the sheepfold, contrasted with the pasture. A sheepfold, it represents safety and protection. It had a gate, it had an under-shepherd or a porter that would only let, you know, approved personnel in and out of the sheepfold, but then you had the pasture where there was abundance, life, Adventure, openness, freedom. And the thing is, is they are both important, and as sheep, you and I crave both, don't we? We want adventure, but we want protection too. We want abundant living, but we need safety as well. We are created to desire both. Some of you today, you don't feel very safe, though, in God's fold, do you? Kind of safe, but not really. Some of you don't feel adventure like you were created to experience. I mean, a little bit, but not really right? Here's the big problem. Since the days of Adam, we as sheep, we feel a little reluctant to follow our good shepherd into abundant living, into better pastures. We don't feel safe in the sheep fold, right? We feel a little, I guess, exposed, vulnerable. We hear wolves snarling outside the gate, promising to get in and destroy us. We feel endangered, we also kind of see these abundant pastures everybody else enjoys, living abundantly, adventurous, but we think it's not for us. It's not something that's a reality for us. So as sheep, we do what sheep do, and we start to 
I guess, be stupid. And we say to ourselves, maybe God's sheepfold is just not that safe. Maybe he doesn't really lead us to better pastures. Maybe I'm better off on my own. Maybe he's just not that good. So what do we do? We wander. We try to protect ourselves. We try to feed ourselves. And we try to create our own adventure. Then we also entertain pretending thieves, hired hands that come in. And they tell us that they can do for us what the good shepherd cannot. That's what's going on here. That's how broken we are. And this is actually how we entered creation, right? What God is going to reverse one day, that is what's cracked in us right here. This is one of my favorite passages relating to this. It's in Genesis 3, but stay where you're at. But in Genesis 3, verse 8, it says, And they, and they being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? A little bit of an echo here. Where are you? A good shepherd is coming to call. One cannot find him. Where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So here we have Adam who's in a very safe place, and he's in company, great company, and he had adventure around him, and he had abundant living around him. But Adam had decided maybe God is not good, and maybe I have to fend for myself. Maybe God is not to be enjoyed. Maybe he is to be avoided. And is this not the lie? It's so freaky. It's still the lie that we have on repeat in our own heads. It's the exact same lie that goes thousands of years back. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe I'm not safe in his fold. Certainly he doesn't know me individual. Possibly I'm better off on my own. And it's at this point when we entertain a lie like that, every day when we wake up, it's at this point that any stupid pretender looking over the wall sounds pretty wise. That any pretender, any thief that has something to say, it sounds logical to us, right? It does to me. Something in our life you, something in your life, right? Something in your life is peeking over the wall today and promising you that if you follow that, you will be led to abundant living, adventure, better pastures, and that it can do a better job of protecting you if you fall into its fold instead of God's fold. Now, you will get fleeced and you will get eaten, but that's the lie we hear. Isn't that what work tells us? I bet there's not a few of us in here that overwork, right? But isn't that what work promises? Hey, if you just put in enough hours, you can get, I mean, if work is a good shepherd, you can get the accolades, the worth, the value, the glory, the fine, you can get everything you want. These are things that God can't give you. Oh, no, no. But these are things that I can give you. So what do we do? We follow that shepherd. 40 hours becomes 50, becomes 60, becomes 70, becomes 80. We just keep giving and giving and giving. What about school? Get the right credentials, get the right grades, get the right references. And if you follow school as your ultimate shepherd, you will end up in green pastures. I mean, on the other side of finals, of course. But you will be in green pastures, eating abundantly, living abundantly. So school tells you, I can give you what God can't give you. God can give you a bunch. He's an okay shepherd, but look what I can give you, right? What about people? If you get that guy to love you, 
get that girl to love you, and I mean really love you, and let them be a shepherd to you, then you'll be protected, you will be satisfied, you will be safe, you will be approved of. And so they become shepherds. And we believe that God can't give us these things. Only another person can. Money. If you stack enough bills and the storm comes, it won't leave you. It'll stay there. It'll solve all your problems because after all, it's money. It becomes a bad shepherd, doesn't it? Image. If you achieve this image, that identity is going to feed you. It's going to make you safe. It's going to satisfy you. God can't do these things. Only image can do these things. Do you see how it goes on and on? Kids. Kids. Listen, if your kids are perfect and are these great success stories, then you'll be satisfied because then you'll have this approval rating because if they're a success, you're a success. And you're not a lousy parent if they end up okay someday, right? So we follow making our kids perfect as some shepherd in our life. You see, if our shepherd is not good and Adam is right, if our shepherd is not good and we are not safe in his fold and he does not know us individually nor does he care, and if we are better off on our own, then why not listen to the pretenders? Because they don't sound so bad after all. But we know in the end, we end up eaten, abandoned, and fleeced. Because thieves are out to destroy you and brutalize you. Hired hands will leave when the trouble comes, we learn. Only a good shepherd can sacrificially lead us courageously. Only a good shepherd can shelter us and find us adventure at the same time in vast pastures, yet tightly close to him. And only, only a good shepherd would lay down his own life. Only a good shepherd does that. You see, Jesus tells the religious leaders at this time, I'm not just a good shepherd that lays my life down, but I pick it back up when I want You see, any shepherd can do that. Any martyr can do that, lay their own life down. But only Jesus has authority over death itself, so he has the authority to raise it right back up. He is a courageous, good shepherd. And he breaks the teeth, and he defangs the wolves that snarl at us, the ones that convince us that we're helpless and we're dead meat. I love this passage in 1 Samuel 17. This has become one of my favorites over time, and it's got David talking to Saul. This is David long before he's a king. I don't know how old he is in this. I envision him to be leaving young mannish and becoming mannish, right? So his stature's increasing. He's got some time behind him. I don't think his voice is squeaking anymore when this happens. It could be. I could be wrong, but this is what he says to Saul. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Stop. Just stop for a moment. I can't even go in a petting zoo, right? I mean, I'll pet a lot of the animals, but some, they've got that creepy look in their eye. Like, they're just as quick take a bite out of your arm as the stupid food in your hands, you know? This is a petting zoo. I mean, none of you are out there all petting on bears and stuff or a lion. I wouldn't be a very good shepherd because if I had a hundred sheep and a lion comes out from nowhere and grabs one of them, you know what? Acceptable loss in my book. I'll tell dad. He'll be cool with it. He'll be excited that I didn't try to get that stupid sheep back. Probably didn't belong over there anyway. You know what I'm saying? David goes after a wild animal and touches it and then kills it with his own hands. 
It's fascinating to me. He goes on to say, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine, meaning Goliath, by the way, shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So as a young man, I grew up trying to imagine what this must have been like for David as a young shepherd, right? Fighting wild animals to save helpless animals that were entrusted to him. And as a young man, I had no idea that this was a preview of Jesus. Another shepherd king fighting a wild enemy to save a defenseless and helpless me who was entrusted to him. You see, David is the anticipation of Jesus. Jesus Jesus is a fulfillment of David. David was not just thrown in the Bible to be entertainment until we got to the good stuff in Jesus later on, right? There's purpose in even bringing David about. He is an anticipation, a pointing to, a follow-through that ends in Jesus, who breaks the teeth of more than just some wolves and bears and lions. He actually breaks the back of death over his own knee, and he does it for us, his sheep, his flock, and his fold. We have something more destructive than a Goliath in our life, don't we? But we have a shepherd that's much better than David in our life. Do you see how the two testaments cooperate here? Because death will snarl and bark and growl, but we are safe. One thing you can know for sure, if you hear Jesus' voice and you are in his sheepfold, friend, you are safe. Nothing can destroy you. Nothing. Nothing can destroy you. You might die, but you'll never be destroyed. Our better shepherd, he loves us to the point of laying down his life and not running off. And better than that, not only this, he defeats sin and he defeats death and he gives us abundant life. He doesn't just protect us. He leads us to adventure. He leads us to possibilities, to freedom, to excitement, to better pastures. And not only this, but he knows us intimately by name. I love that part. Listen, he knows your name. He knows your name. Consider that again. This means he knows your heart. He knows your heart's temptations. He knows how much you struggle with that thing. He, he sees where your heart wants to do good, but it, but it fights and it, and it doesn't seem to do good all the time. He knows your past and your experience and where you came from. He knows that you might not have gotten a full deck dished out to you at all times. He knows that you were a victim in that one thing at that one time in that one place. He knows you. You're not just part of a herd. That's such a common Christian weird thought. It's just that we're only valuable because we belong to a church. Friends, we are the church, and he loves us individually. In fact, there was rejoicing when he won you. Consider this in Luke 15. This is another parable at another time and another place. But he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's incredible. There was a party. There was a celebration. There were high fives thrown up top whenever 
you were one, you individually. That's, that's remarkable to think that he would hold us that close, rejoicing, and then get back and then celebrate that this is how he sees you. Yes, on the days you don't do so great either. He celebrates you. He celebrates you as much on a bad day as he does on a good day. And he knows you by name. Not only this, it gets better because our better shepherd, he is still valiantly adding more sheep. Really cool part of this passage is verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So remember, he is speaking to ethnic Jews, and he is speaking of Gentiles that he will go get, right? Because now you're starting to see the ship turn a little bit. He is going to add those to this flock, one flock, one shepherd, people that don't look like these listeners. They don't celebrate or party like these listeners. They're every day. They're normal. doesn't look like these listeners. They're culturally different. Jesus is building a complex church, and his sheep will hear his voice, right? And these sheep, they're entrusted to Jesus by God. And they're entrusted to him because he's a good shepherd. John 17, Jesus is praying to his Father in heaven, and he is saying, I am praying for them, meaning his church. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Listen, if you are in here and you love Jesus and he, he calls you by name and you are part of his sheepfold, did you know that you were entrusted to Jesus by, by the Father? You were given. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. This is beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of a shepherd and how he handles his sheep. Now, you could follow a false pretender full of false promises, and when trouble comes, they're going to abandon you. You'll be fleeced, brutalized, and eaten. Think about that. This is why work has never given you what you wanted. You could keep pumping more quarters into that machine, but work makes a pretty cruddy shepherd. Makes a pretty cruddy shepherd. Never really a pasture on the other side of that thing, is there? This is why you freak out on your kids for not being perfect. You know, we think that if we raise our kids just right, that they won't sin. <laughs> but they're sinners. Listen, kids are sinners. Send them to private school. They'll just sin like the other kids in the private schools do. You could homeschool them, and they're going to sin like homeschool kids do. Send them to public school. It doesn't matter. K kids are sinners. And I think what we can do is we could say, but that means that I'm not doing a good job as a parent. And our glory leaks. And our approval and our worth starts to take some dings and hits. We must have perfect kids. But perfect kids, they don't make for great shepherds, do they? Not really. That's why we freak out on them. We're losing control. This is why your significant other has made a poor Jesus to you, right? This is why money has left you without that adventure you had hoped for. Trouble rushes in, and those stacked bills, they're not really helping you right now. Paychecks, 401ks. They make a bad Jesus. And this is why for all the work you put into your image, you are still starving for approval because likes and retweets, they make for bad Jesuses. They don't lead us to abundant pastures. They don't protect us when danger comes in. You see, Jesus calls these things hired hands. All those things I just listed, those are hired hands. They, 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 they convince you that they will give you what you really need that Jesus can't give you. But when trouble comes... 
they're gone. And you're destroyed. You're gone. You're fleeced. You're alone. You know, Jesus does not need to prove that he is a better shepherd to us because he has a cross on his resume. He has defeated sin and death. He has an empty tomb in his resume. He doesn't have to prove that he's a good shepherd, right? His life speaks. His death speaks for him. The big question isn't whether he's good. It's whether you hear his voice. That's the big question in this passage. That's the main idea. Do we hear his voice, right? We belong to him if we hear his call. If we do not hear his voice among a chorus of pretenders, then we do not belong to him. We can draw a distinctive line just like that. If you hear his voice, you belong to him, and you can never be lost, destroyed, abandoned, eaten, because you are safe. Some of you in here, you've not heard Jesus calling you, and that's because you don't belong to him. You don't. Could this be a day, though? Could this be a day? where a better shepherd is calling you into a sheepfold where there's ultimate protection and safety? Could this be a day for you today where the fleecing stops, where you're never abandoned again, never crushed? I think some of us in here hear Jesus' voice would be a part of his fold, yet we prefer false shepherds and we feel better off on our own. We throw off his oppression because, after all, we can do better than what God can do for us. We do this because we don't believe we're safe, ultimately. We don't believe we have adventure in front of us, ultimately. So what do we do? We follow pretenders. How's that going? How's that going? Have they actually delivered? Mine haven't. I mean, are you in great pastures from following one of these things? Let me explain it just in real terms. Overworking has been one for me. I'll just play it out for you so you can see what it looks like, right? Overworking has been something that my father's 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 fathers have done. I've traced my lineage all the way back to Europe. And when they came over on a ship called the Thistle of Glasgow, and they, bought, they, they docked in Philadelphia and worked their way and started their life in Sevierville. That's where my family line came from. But as far back as there's written records, they were all workaholics, right? All of them. It's kind of in me, right? But then I happen to grow up in a culture that puts a high value on working hard. So I, it's, it's, a, it's a double hit. So I overwork, right? And pastors do this. I think in my mind, if I'm able to work really hard and build something very beautiful, then it means that I'm valuable. It means that I'm worthy. It means that I have significance, right? This is where that bad shepherd has gotten me, though. I mean, I've told the story many times up here, but in 2011, I burned out. I burned out and nearly had to quit the ministry, Right? What, what, what is that? It's me getting fleeced. <laughs> it's me getting brutalized and eaten because this church makes a bad Jesus. Me overworking makes a bad Jesus. And I end up over my head, alone, and in the middle of a disaster. This church has never laid its life down for me. Only Jesus has laid his life down. He is the good shepherd. Nothing else can lead me into safety. Nothing else can lead me into adventure. You know, as I preach something like this, I realize there's a lot of repentance that needs to happen in a passage like this for all of us. Because I gave you an example of my life, and I have more for my life, but I know you have false shepherds, hired hands, thieves that peek over the wall and say, hey, 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 I got you covered. I got you covered. You, you give yourself to me. 
all of your time and all of your talent and all of your treasure. You give yourself to me and I'll lead you to abundant living. I'll protect you. We all have it. Repentance is turning away from false shepherds and laying our lives at the feet of a very good shepherd that knows us by name, calls us by name, and knows us as an individual. See, we have a big problem. He's shown us our big remedy, but then we have a big mission, and this is how I'm going to end this today. Because also in this passage is an idea of city reaching. There are more sheep that belong to him that don't look like you. I love this part. John 10, 16. He says again, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This does have a posture towards city reaching and world missions. There's no way to get around that, right? By the way, he had you in mind individually when he wrote this. Did you know that? Unless you're a Palestinian Jew, then he had you in mind when he said this thousands of years ago to these Pharisees. He thought of you individually by name when he said this thousands of years ago to Pharisees because you were added to a very different flock. There are children being born today, churches and cities and places all over the world that will be added to this flock in 17 years, three months and two days, or 20 years and whatever. There will be people added to this flock. Will you be willing to go to church plants in the future to missional endeavors overseas, to be a part of this, to be a part of a good shepherd valiantly adding sheep to his fold. Would you be a part of this? Would you consider it? We'll be planting churches. We'll be going overseas. Will you consider it? Right? In fact, let's amp it up. Would you consider staying there? Not just going overseas, but staying there. Are you praying along those lines now? That's scary praying, too, by the way. You should consider this. Praying for people that don't look like you culturally to meet your good shepherd. Go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to read this passage over you, and this is how we're going to pray out. iconic again, just as iconic as John 10 is Psalm 23. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I thank you for this time where we can just examine and meditate and even celebrate as a church how great of a good shepherd you are. And you don't say, I'm a good shepherd, and just demand that we take your word for it. You, you have proven it. You don't just say that you could lay your life down and take it. You did lay your life down and take it back up. You didn't just talk, you did. And to this day, you are still adding sheep to the fold. You are not done being a good shepherd. 
Father, it is too easy to listen to ancient lies that you are not to be trusted. It's too easy to, to buy into the old line that I'm, I'm not safe in this fold and there is no adventure for me and I'm better off on my own and you don't even know me individually. It's so easy to do that. But Father, by your spirit, by the power of your right hand, by your spirit, can we believe differently? And can we see the scriptures and know that we know that we know that we are safe? That when we are gathered in your sheepfold, we are safe. We are connected to you. We, we don't have to be like Adam was where, where you tell us, where are you? Because we're right before you. And you lead us in and you lead us out because you were the door. We find great pastures and we find great safety. Gone are the days where we have to feed ourselves, protect ourselves, and manufacture our own adventure and possibilities. You do all of this for us because you are so good. Lord, that in this time when we worship you and when we take communion, a table, as the psalm says, a table provided before us in front of our enemies, it's a table that displays what you have done to defeat our enemies with broken body and spilt blood. As we take the elements as your church, as your sheep, Father, that we would mark that moment we, where we say you are our shepherd and you are a good shepherd. And we have enemies around us whispering, entreating us, leading us improperly. And you have made that table before those enemies. You have taken the teeth away from the enemy, and we are safe in you. So, Father, we know that as a church. And, Father, I know that there are people here that do not hear your voice. They have grown up and they have lived the life of listening to pretenders, a choir of pretenders, being let down, being overpromised and underdelivered upon, all kinds of things, promising to protect and supply them, and none of it ever happening. They just continually get abandoned, left, eaten and fleeced. Lord, that today you would call them by name, by name. That you would say you and that you would show them how you celebrate over one sheep that you have gone out of your way to get. Rejoicing. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We celebrate you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.